Good morning. Welcome to Lifestone Church. I'm Pastor Ben. Hey, this morning uh, we're in week three of Simplify, uh, this series that, that I think has been very life-giving for a lot of people to discover some beautiful truths about how Jesus wants us to follow him, some things that, that we get caught up in so many distractions and other things in life that take our focus off of God. And I think that's the intent of many of these things, many of these temptations. And Jesus has drawn us and, and called us to a life that he describes as easy, as light, as not a heavy burden. And so we're trying to discover some of those uh, huge principles of what that looks like. And, and I, I've talked to so many of you just during this series who, who have said this really is encouraging. And so we're going to continue today and talk about money. Dun, dun, dun. Something that can greatly complicate our lives. Something that can, in a very significant way distract us from focusing on why we were created to know God to receive his love and to love him in return um, but I was so encouraged last week as we talked about uh, solitude and silence and how Jesus modeled that in a profound way that, that you look at his life and and we get uh, just you know we get four accounts of his life we call them the gospels the the beginning of the new testament testament Matthew Mark Luke and John and throughout those, we just see this pattern that, that the recorders of Jesus' lives, uh, there's one point where they say there's no way we could, we could record everything that he taught and did. Uh, but, but the things that God inspired those writers to record, uh, so often they recorded that Jesus spent time in reflection and connection with God the Father that he went out in solitude and silence. And it seems like that is where he drew a lot of strength and direction in his ministry. And we need it and we're offered it. So we talked about that last week. And I heard an, a great story of how that really has played out in, in one, of, uh, the, one of our stoners, as we like to call our people here. You're not offended by that, right? Um, one of our, our Lifestone uh, family members, uh, how that's played out in his life. And so I'm going to ask, let me introduce first to you uh, Kirby, I'm sorry, Adam Kirby, Mr. Kirby. I wanted to start with your last name for some reason. Uh, Adam Kirby, uh, come on up here. Adam is uh, a board member uh, that he serves, uh, our newest board member on the church, our church board. So he really helps in a, a significant way in our leadership here at church. And he leads two, count them, one, two, life groups in our church, a men's life group on Monday nights, uh, and then a, a life group in his home as well. So we really appreciate your family. And this guy drumming in here, and, and this guy playing the keys here, uh, happen to be related to him, his sons. And so we, we really appreciate your, your whole family connection and the way you serve. So share with us your story of how uh, solitude and silence, uh, how God has used that. Sure. Thanks, Ben. Uh, I apologize in advance for anybody that's been in one of my life groups. You probably heard some version of this, uh, but probably not the whole story. So um, I'd like to start with just kind of the basis of this and, and the touch point that brought this up in our men's Bible study the other night, which was Psalms 46.10. And that verse says, or part of the verse says, be still and know I am God. Um, and, and so as we were talking about that, it reminded me of an experience in my life that's been a touch point now for years, and it happened about 18 years ago, um, where Heather and I were going through a pretty difficult time, but it was mostly related to my career. Um, my boss was actually crazy, uh, and, and, and it was causing some issues. It was difficult to go to work, um, and 
And, and so I was getting more and more depressed by the situation. And, and I was in this scenario where I um, had two little kids and Heather was pregnant with Harbor, um, had a mortgage, had car payments, didn't have a lot of money. Um, so I, it wasn't like I was just going to quit my job and, and you know, hope things were going to work out. Um, so in that place of desperation, you know, I, I decided that I was going to use my commute to work to just sit in silence and listen for God. Um, I had about a 25, 30-minute commute, depending on traffic. And, and so every morning I would get in the car and I would pray. And instead of turning on the radio or listening to books or whatever it was that I usually did, I literally just drove in silence. And those first few days were a little rough. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever sat in silence before, uh, but your head is not kind to you. It's very busy. <laughs> Um, but what I found was that as I committed to this and, and went day after day, that the silence truly became silence. And, and so um, that really impacted me, and, and I still wasn't hearing the answers I was looking for, but I, I knew that something was happening and that God was working. So um, finally, one morning, it really got to the point where I was just sitting in the driveway, couldn't even pull out of the driveway. I was like, I cannot drive to work. Um, and eventually I did. I went back inside, sat on the bed. Heather's like, you got to go to work. I was like, I know. Um, and, and I went. But it was in that drive, in that silence, that I heard God tell me, he said, you got to quit your job. Let me remind you. <laughs> right? Two babies. Heather was pregnant, getting ready to go into the hospital. I mean, about to give birth. Um, mortgage, car payments. Uh, we got paid twice a month. I, I couldn't go 15 days without another paycheck. It wasn't happening. So... Um, Heather was praying constantly at the same time, and when I came home that evening and we saw each other, I, I looked at her, she looked at me, she said, you have to quit your job. I said, I know, All right? <laughs> and so I did. Um, and the interesting thing was is that we were in the hospital not long after that. Harbor was born, um, and while we were sitting there, the day she was born, I got the call, and, and I got another job offer. Um, we didn't miss a paycheck. There wasn't a problem there, but that wasn't the point. Right? The point was, and the thing that has been amazing for us, is that this has been an encouragement now for 20 years. And what I learned from that was not that I'm not going to miss a paycheck, because even if I had, it would have been okay. Um, what I learned is that it wasn't about the paycheck at all. It was a gift that I got about learning how to listen to God. So, that's it. Hey, thanks, Ed. <clears throat> Let's pray, and uh, we'll jump into today's lesson. God, thank you so much for working in Adam's life and the Kirby, Kirby's family's life. God, I thank you for uh, just allowing us to hear how you do speak to us. And God, uh, we're just uh, we're affected by what Jesus modeled, that, that he got away from distractions, and, and that's so hard to do in our culture today. And he spent the time necessary to connect with you and hear from you. So, God, thank you for the story. I pray you continue to bless the Kirby's family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Adam. All right, well, today, like I said, we're going to talk about money. So, uh, Jesus was not frazzled about money. There's no account where he's walking around and all, all, all of the uh, stories that we have of everything that he's doing. Uh, but at the same time, he talked about it a lot, and he taught about it a lot. It is this issue that comes up so often in Scripture, it, it's shocking to me sometimes. Uh, Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven 
and hell and love. What? That's right. I mean, this is a huge issue. Um, and I think it's because it is such a temptation and, and can lead us so astray. And so what I want to do this morning is, is give us God's wisdom. We're going to look at several uh, uh, verses. We're going to get through them quickly, but we're going to look at several verses that give us direction. And I'll be honest with you, trying to do a, a message on money, because we don't, we don't talk about money, uh, about money a lot, and here I'm a little bit convicted by it, because Jesus did. Uh, but when you start studying it, it's just everywhere. It's all over the Old Testament and the New Testament and on Jesus's, uh, in his teaching specifically and to the churches. It's just everywhere. So it's kind of hard to go, okay, one Sunday we're going to kind of look at this. So there's, there's some just big principles that I, I hope we can walk away with that are really uh, life-changing if you've never thought of money in the terms of, of the ways that God calls us and directs us to think about money and, and really freeing. That, that once we embrace God's view on money, it is a weight and, and something that's lifted and something that can grab a hold of our heart and our life in a way that keeps us away from God. And, and uh, that's, of course, not what we want. And so we're going to look at these, some practical advice. Um, the problem is that money is like, it's, it's, uh, in Scripture, often it's described as a false god. It's something that can take the place of God. But the problem is, it doesn't come through. It promises many of the things that God promises. It promises many of the things as we're created in the image of God that we long for. Uh, significance, peace, security, um, fulfillment in life, um, all these things it will promise, but it cannot come through the way, of course, that God only can. Um, and so uh, we need to realize when we're choosing that and how much of our heart is trusting in money versus trusting in God. Uh, what's interesting about this is sometimes we, we, we hear some, I think, bad information or, or we've heard, oh, I know what the, money, what the Bible says about money. Uh, often I have, I've had my own misconceptions um, and, and I've heard a lot of other people have misconceptions about money. Um, the Bible does not say that money is evil. I've heard a lot of people say that. But the Bible says money is the root of all evil, right? That's scripture. Preach. No, the Bible doesn't say that, actually. In 1 Timothy 6.10, and there's a very important distinction here, it says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So money in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's actually, as we'll look at some of these principles, something that we can use to worship God, of course, with that we can use and enjoy, that we can use in some very wonderful, beautiful ways. It's a, it can be a great blessing, but the love of money, putting our heart's affection towards money, that is where, <clears throat> where evil comes and, and all sorts of kinds of evil. Um, Jesus put it this way in, in Matthew 6, 24, referring to money as kind of being this idol that we can worship. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. 
You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Satan. What? If, as I, are you, do you guys do that? I do that. Like I complete people's thoughts before they say it. You know, like I know where you're headed with this. And I'm like, okay, Jesus, you're going, okay, you're talking about serving two things. We're going to serve God or we're going to serve, well, of course, the enemy, right? Like, but no, it's like a surprise ending to me anyways. But, you know, we may be so familiar with the passage or have heard that. But, but just think of it, think of the audience in those terms going, oh, didn't see him going there. But that's how significant it can be and how, how much it can draw our heart's affection towards these things. There's two extremes that, that I've seen in the Christian faith that I think we need to be careful of when it comes to money. One is, hey, it's a, uh, if you grab onto the principles about money in God's word, it's kind of a get-rich-quick scheme. Like, hey, if, if, you, if you invest this much, God's going to give like tenfold back. And so here's what you need to do. There's this insider information in the Bible about your money. And if you want to get rich, then you can see already the problem with that and what that really leads to. And we, we could talk about many, many examples of how people, ultimately, that's just a form of greed wrapped up in religion, right? And, and, and this, word, this is addressed very directly in Scripture. Uh, in 1 Timothy uh, Paul is warning about false teachers as he often does. And one thing that he says about them is that they will uh, cause constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who, who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So, so Paul is warning young Timothy that, hey, among all these false teachers that can come into a church, one of their great desires is that they're going to th try to teach that godliness and being righteous and holy is connected to financial gain. And, and, and that is not something we see in Scripture anywhere. We see, uh, we see people that God blesses with great financial gain who are, are declared as righteous and following God. And we see people dirt poor who are, and, and I think there's a good argument to put Jesus in that category. Uh, he he made, uh, said phrases like, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Did you ever think about that? Like, what was Jesus's house like? Well, during his ministry in the third, uh, while he was in his early 30s, it would seem, he didn't even have a, a home. He didn't, have, didn't seem to have great wealth or anything like that. Um, but, but we see, of course, many other examples of, of people in that situation. Uh, but there's this tendency that we have uh, to think that, okay, God likes you more if he's blessed you financially or he's upset with you more. And, and, and we have, uh, you know, the book of Job in the Old Testament kind of just dispelling that idea because sometimes we'll attach that also with our physical well-being. And you can see what that leads to. It, it, it leads to condemnation and judgment, looking down on people, judging people, thinking, oh, you've had a financial setback you must not be walking with God. And that just is not the case. That is not taught in Scripture. And so uh, that's one error that I see uh, sometimes in churches that will be taught. It's, it's this, uh, this, this prosperity type of gospel. Sometimes it's, it's named that. that, that that's, that's what God desires. And if you really tap into these truths, you'll be rich. 
Um, and then there's the other, I think, end of the spectrum of, of in, in Christian history, a lot of people teaching that we should all be poor and give everything away. And, and that, that kind of this monastic lifestyle that we should all, if we really love Jesus, we would all take vows of poverty. And the problem with that is, okay, what's your level of poverty? I mean, that's probably more challenging for us who are so blessed and who are really the poorest among us are really filthy rich compared to the rest of the world and compared to the, the rest of human history. And so what does that mean? Who decides that? And then if someone's deciding what level of poverty we should live as a Christian, then again, judgment comes in, a religious system of looking down on certain people who have not made the kind of sacrifices we think they should make because they haven't you know, said you know, they have two cars or they have AC or they, you know, and, and you get into this horrible religious judgmental um, hierarchy of people who love Jesus and, and don't love Jesus. And, and here, here's what we determine. We think, well, there's a certain level of living an opulent lifestyle that surely God isn't happy with. But here's what we do. It's always two steps above our lifestyle. Because we're totally fine with one step above, right? We're good with that. It's like, hey, that's ambition. That's working hard. Like maybe we're looking forward to that. As we're thinking, hey, if things go, really go well in my sphere of finances or in my career or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm going to get to a point where I can take these kind of vacations or live in this kind of home or drive this kind of car. And so that's not, that's not crazy extravagance and opulent lifestyle. That surely is something that God would, would disapprove of, you know. But that one step, that's, that's just ambition. And God probably says some good stuff about that, right? So it's always just, well, that next step, that's overboard, and that is too extravagant. But again, we're probably on step, you know, uh, 12, and the rest of the world's on step one or two, probably 80, 90% of the rest of the world. And so what do we do with that, and how do we reconcile the incredible um, blessing that we have uh, in our culture? And so you get those two extremes, and I think you don't have a, a strong argument for either in Scripture. But there's some principles that we're going to see in here. Um, three people come to mind when I think of Jesus' ministry and, and some, some significant factors of how people approached money that he dealt with. Uh, the first is the wee little man, Zacchaeus. Look, I have my own little flannel board for you this morning. <laughs> Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Um, and and we, we get a picture of a guy who lived an incredibly greedy lifestyle, who, who in a dishonest way took advantage of his role and, and, uh, took, and, and really robbed from people ultimately. And the solution to what turned his heart around was encountering Jesus. That was the solution. It's not like, well, he, he, he took a course, and there were some great principles that he started to apply. No, he had a heart change because he encountered Jesus. And when he encountered Jesus, his heart reflected the love and values of Jesus, and then he became, instead of greedy, he became generous. And he went back, and the story goes that he, 
uh, you know, paid back everyone uh, that he had done wrong and more and then became super generous uh, uh, person. And so I always think of him when I think of these principles and what Jesus does to the way we look at finances. Because that's really, when it comes down to it, greed is, is really uh, the issue that we're, we're really honing in on here. And his solution was generosity. Um, the other stories I think of is uh, Mary of uh, Bethany. Uh, we talked about her uh, last week or a week ago. She, she is accused of being wasteful because she is taking nard. I mean, we all know how awesome nard is, right? And how extravagant and wonderful nard is. I think it's nard. Am I right here? <laughs> this, it is this very expensive perfume. She took a perfume that was worth about a year's wage. I mean, that is an expensive perfume. And, but she, just like she did earlier when she was with her sister, understood more of who she was encountering. She was encountering Jesus. And she knew, I think, something that some people didn't fully recognize around her of who he was. And so she took every opportunity to love him, to worship him, to adore him, to connect with him. And, and um, she does it in this extravagant way of, of, of uh, anointing his feet with this very expensive perfume, um, washing his feet with her tears and drying his feet with her hair. And, and, and what's interesting about that is who's in the wings complaining, going, what a waste. Judas. And he's the next guy who comes to mind. And, and his attitude and his heart and what it ultimately did to him. And what's so fascinating to me about him is, did you know he was the treasurer of the inner circle of Jesus's ministry of his 12 disciples? They said, well, hey, Judas, he, he's the guy who's, you know, trustworthy. And, and he's, here's what I really think it is. He, he talks about money a lot. He must... <laughs> He must, uh, he must like have some knowledge and some wisdom in dealing with it because they chose him to be the one to deal with and handle money. And his heart is already been coming out in the story of not recognizing fully who Jesus is, I think, because, I mean, ultimately what he does. But, but I think sometimes we, we confuse people who are uh, stingy or, or trying to be good stewards of money and they're very critical of how money is spent and we think oh they're good stewards but often if you look at their life and I don't mean to judge anyone but I've talked to many pastors who, who have come across this weird principle where the people who are complaining about how the church is managing the funds of the church never are giving significantly to the church. And what's up with that? It's because their heart is, is wrong <laughs> when it comes to money. And, and it's a form of greed that's kind of twisted into I'm a good steward of it or I'm making sure things I'm connected to are a good steward of it. But they put so much value in that money, they can't stand to see it used in this way or that way. And so they become gripey and complainy. Complainy, there's a good word for you. They complain about how it's stewarded, even though in their own life it, it doesn't seem to be managed well. And so what does he do? He goes off, and, and what, what is the ultimate thing that draws him to betray Jesus? 
30 pieces of silver, money. That's what had a, had a hold of his heart and of his life. So <clears throat> let's get to these uh, principles. First, you've got a, in your program, um, ultimately, the solution to greed, as that is, I think, really hones in on what, what, what can really distract us and grab our heart with money. It's some form. Sometimes it comes across in different ways, but some form of greed is ironically what's on our $1 bill. Isn't that weird? I think that's ironic. You pull out a dollar bill and it's like, in God we trust on our money, this thing that can be used to honor God and love God, and, but yet <laughs> it so often isn't. But that's the key. That's the thing I hope you walk away with. If we trust God when it comes to this area of finances, our finances will be simplified. There will be a, a peace that comes through trusting in God to take care of our needs. There will be a contentment that comes in our lives with whatever God has provided for us, not desiring more and more and more and thinking that somehow uh, that endless desire for more will, will be filled with stuff because it never will. And so um, in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, I, I think when I think of one passage when it comes to money, this is the one probably that pops up at the forefront of my mind. And Jesus is teaching and he says something else, I think, that is profound. And this is the reason he would gather crowds of like 20,000 plus people to hear this incredible truth. Don't store up your treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. You've probably heard it said many times, you can't take it to heaven with you. You don't see any, you know, any, uh, what are those funeral cars, hearsts <laughs> with a U-Haul behind them, right? You can't take it with you. Uh, that's not what Jesus said. He said, you can take it with you. He said, take your treasure and invest it in heaven, in eternal things. Uh, so in some ways, now you may argue with me on some semantics of details of exactly how we're approaching this, but in some way it says that we can take our treasure, our finances, what God has blessed us with, and invest them in eternal things, in heavenly things. And I think if we get our minds right about that, that's absolutely will happen. And then he gives this promise that when you put your, your treasure towards eternal things, your heart's there. And some people, they think, well, if it's, it's got to happen the other way around. You know, well, I just don't feel like putting my stuff, my treasure, my possessions towards eternal things. But if God makes me feel that way, I'm all there. But, but Jesus says, no, no, no. Knowing if you're a Christ follower and you want your heart to be there, then go ahead and put your treasure there. And guess what? That's where your heart's going to be. It's kind of like if you took a bunch of your treasure and invested in, let's pick something to invest in, beans and brews. They're putting up a new beans and brews by our new land, like just a block away. So I'm like, all right, future office. Um, so if you put a significant amount of treasure towards beans, they're probably not even traded, right? I don't know. Um, but whatever it might be, 
If you put a significant amount towards whatever, you're checking your investment, right? More. If you hear a news report about beans and brews, like doing well and adding all these things and their stock is skyrocketing, you're going, that's interesting. Your heart is drawn to those things. So in a real practical way, Jesus gives us um, just uh, a beautiful insight there. So here's the three things that I think can really radically change the way that we approach money. And many of you I know because uh, many of you uh, respect God's truth and word and have been following these things. And, um, but, but these are always good reminders. And then there may be some people out there, if, if you haven't been exposed to God's truth about these things, I think these are pretty different and revolutionary. And, I, and, and so wherever you are, number one, uh, I'm managing God's money and possessions. Everything that we have. I mean, you want to talk about a radical change of thinking. Everything we have. These socks I'm wearing. These shoes I'm wearing. This shoelaces in the shoes. My, you know, what I drove here this morning. What I live in. What's in my bank account. What collection I have. What all, everything I have I'm blessed with. Possessions and finances. If you're a Jesus follower, you surrendered all. You, you said that, God, you're king now. You're my financial manager because it's all yours. And, and so you manage it. And, and, and I'm going to follow what you have to say about it. That's what it means to say Jesus is Lord. You are the boss of my finances, and then it may come a little easier when we read Deut Deuteronomy 8, 17, through, uh, 17 and 18, and there's many passages I found that said this exact same thing over and over. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You can't ever exclude God out of the equation of what you've worked so hard to, to achieve and to get. And that's where we get stuck a lot of times. I've talked to a lot of people who they, they really truly want to follow God. But this, man, this money thing can just grab our hearts in such a strong way. Why? Because we're putting our trust. We're putting our future. We think that, man, we're okay if we have enough, uh, a certain amount in, in the bank or investments or, or income or whatever, and, and really we're trusting in that. And what this says is if you change your thinking to, wait a minute, uh, of course, I, all this money I have, I only have it because God made me, and he gave me the ability so that I could do this job. And he gave me the, the, the knowledge, and he gave me the opportunity for the training, and and, uh, and he made the material of whatever it might be that we're using in our jobs. And I mean, you know, it kind of becomes silly. Oh, yeah, he made the world. And he made air so I could breathe, so I could go to work. <laughs> he made food so I could eat it. So I could, you know, it all comes back to God. But in even a more profound way, I think, if you're a Jesus follower, you, you have just said, man, my life is Jesus's now. I'm, my, I'm dead to, to myself, and, and my new life, it's just Jesus. And so just think of that. And think of that not just with your money. So this is all, all not, not a portion. Some people are like, well, the Bible talks about like giving a certain percentage or something. Like maybe that's God's, but everything else is mine. No, no, no. I don't think the Bible teaches that. 
I think the Bible teaches clearly that it's 100% all God's, but we are so blessed that God has given us the ability to use it for needs we have, and we're called to manage it in a way that honors him. But just think about the weight that's lifted off of you, for one thing. Well, you don't have to worry about all these things owning you, as, as even in a secular setting, people will say that. Man, the more stuff you have, the more it owns you, right, than you own it because of the, the stress you have of whatever upkeep or, of possessions you have or whatever it might be. But, but if we could just get that alone, if you just walked away this morning and going, wait a minute, it's all his. Thank you. First of all, you're more thankful, right? And then second of all, you're asking, well, everything I do with everything I have, whether it's my lawn equipment in my shed or, or the money in my account, well, it's all yours, God. So what do you want me to do with it? And do we really, going back to the $1 bill, do we trust him to do what he wants us to do with it? Um, number two, it really is. I, I believe Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed this. I'm kind of a Jesus fan. And I believe him, too. And I think he, he's God in the flesh. And, and I believe that he has revealed his truth in an incredible, miraculous way through his word. And he taught, and it's funny, it's, it's really told in Acts, hey, Jesus said this. He said that it's better to give than receive. And even we see people who don't know Jesus really tap into some of that truth. Because truth is truth wherever you find it. But Jesus is telling us as, as Christ followers that that really is the view that we should, we should have. Um, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, this is just an extended portion of, of what I uh, read earlier about uh, people thinking that, that uh, using godliness as a means to get rich. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Actually, underlined enjoyment there because of that other extreme view of saying we shouldn't enjoy anything and we should live in abject poverty. Um, uh, sometimes that's the circumstance that God puts you in. And, but, but to think that we can't enjoy a blessing of God, actually God's word says we can enjoy the blessings that God gives us. Um, so, Enjoyment, where'd I put that? Yep, there it is. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always be ready to share with others. Be, uh, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. And I love how this references, I think, exactly what Jesus was talking about, your treasure in heaven. Because we may get so philosophical about what he's saying that we're like, well, he's talking about like a different type of treasure or something. And here I think it's making it kind of more concrete that he's, he's talking about like, like those who are rich, those who have God, God has blessed financially to do this. And then they'll experience, this is what I hope you get excited about, true life and real life. And if you've ever had that opportunity to truly take something that you've been blessed with and bless someone else, and provide for a genuine need in someone else's life. Man, that's addictive. Like, that, that's such a wonderful blessing, and it's so more satisfying 
than, than just receiving and gaining and just dreaming about what more and more and more we can have and consume. So I believe Jesus. It really is better to give than to receive. Number three, uh, when I have Jesus, I'm content with what I have. If you have Jesus, and that's why I love the story of, um, of uh, uh, what's his name? Zacharias. No, Zacchaeus. See, I knew that was wrong. Uh, Zacchaeus, uh, that, that uh, when you encounter Jesus, man, that's, you're like, whatever. That is the greatest treasure you can ever find. So if you discover that and find that, man, your heart turns and changes. The Bible says that the Spirit of God dwells in you and begins to work on you from the inside out. And, and, and when you have the greatest treasure ever, everything else pales in comparison. And, and, and so you look around in your life, and instead of like everyone else who doesn't have that, or even followers of Christ who have been drawn away by stuff, you go, well, I'm just happy with what I have. I'm so blessed with what I have. I don't have to have this endless need for more, more, more. And that is what's hard for us in our culture is our entire, I think, marketing uh, economy is kind of based on giving you an appetite that what you have isn't enough. You know, your car doesn't have the latest technology and you're, you know, you don't have the latest whatever uh, apparel or you need this, right? And that's how they're, you know, they're trying to sell you stuff that you need more. Don't be content, really, is almost every commercial sums up that. Like, don't be content. Get more stuff. And so we have to know that that's a, the culture we're in. And so uh, what does it say in uh, Ecclesiastes 5.10? Whoever loves money never has enough. Ecclesiastes is a really interesting book. Um, there's some debate on the authorship. Most biblical scholars think it was King Solomon who wrote it. It's never in there. Um, there there's some debate on that. But, that. but there's this king of the Jews, and he's got great wealth. And he's described as a guy with great wisdom. And he's like, man, I've got it all. I've had everything this world has to offer in his day and time. And he was like, man, it's so useless, is what he keeps saying throughout the book. And so he says this, that, that, man, whoever loves money, it's never enough. It just doesn't matter. It's never enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. There's a stat that's kind of old, but I've heard it many times shared that most people think if they made $1,100 more a month, they would be fine and totally content. But it doesn't matter if you make 20000 a year or $100,000 a year. It's like 1100 more. So it doesn't make sense, as, as you see. It's always just that, that desire and that, that uh, hook for more and more and more. Hebrews 13.5 says, don't love money, be satisfied. And so it doesn't just say don't love money. It says, well, here's the opposite. Here's what we need to do. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Money promises what only God can deliver, joy, significance, security, and peace. Philippians 4, 11 through 12, quickly, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. A famous passage of Paul that is often used in kind of a different way. And, and the whole basis of this passage is Paul going, man, I've found a contentment no matter what circumstance I go through. And he goes on to say, um, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. 
And then here's the famous verse, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And sometimes we just look at that portion of the verse and think, and we kind of misuse it. What it's saying is I have contentment because of Jesus, because I know him. That's really all I need. Um, Application, two quick things I want to share with you. What what do we do? Okay, we change our our thinking, everything we own, all our possessions. It's really God's. He's given us the, the privilege of managing it. And if we're Christ followers, we want to worship him with the way we manage our stuff and our money. Um, the second thing is it, it really is better to give and to receive. That is a lie and a temptation that we get very strong from our world that we will be satisfied if we just had a little bit more or maybe a whole lot more. And then number three, uh, just understanding if we have Jesus, we have everything. There is nothing this world can throw at us. There's nothing that this world can take away from us if we have Jesus that ultimately really takes away our source of joy, our source of, of uh, assured hope of what our eternity looks like if we have Jesus. So, but, but, okay, we know these things, and hopefully our mind's changing, but what do we do about it? So the first thing I would say, just a real practical thing, is plan your finances. And the way to honor God, plan your finances. Two principles that we see in Scripture, and sometimes there's some pushback from these, the first one is we see this principle of first fruit giving. Or, or to say, hey, instead of trying to be generous towards uh, eternal things and, and invest in heavenly things, if there's anything left, you could see how that's not really putting God first and trusting him first. So we see this long-standing principle of how God taught his people to make that the first thing that they do. So they, uh, specifically, they were in an agriculture culture. Did I say that right? Agriculture culture. And um, so they they would talk about first fruits and first crops. And the same principle, I think, can be if we plan our money and go, look, this is how much I've been blessed with, with whatever means God has provided for me. What does God want me to do right off the top? Of, of being generous towards, towards things that, that uh, he wants me to invest in. So that's the thing. And then the other thing is the T word, dun, 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 tithe. I don't even like saying it. It has been so misused and has caused so much just guilt and condemnation. But there's this principle that we see in Scripture of if you're saying, well, how much? If I'm talking about in the beginning of right off the top and, and a guide, this is not some command. This is not something, well, if we do it, we're going to be blessed and get rich or we're going to be cursed and, 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 and something if we don't do it. Um, we're in Christ. There's no condemnation in Christ. We have all the riches and blessings of Christ uh, be, by just putting our trust and faith in Jesus. And that's what breaks my heart is people use it as this religious tool to make people feel condemned, to make people feel, you know, well, I'm more spiritual because I do this, this uh, practice that we, see, that we see taught in the Old Testament. So what I say is that we see a principle there and, and that gives us some kind of guidance because some people in a practical way are like, well, 
What does God expect me to do when it comes to investing in, in, in eternal things, investing in spiritual things, supporting my local church family, uh, those kind of things? And, and the principle that he's given us is 10%. And that's what tithe means. It's kind of become a, a word that's had so many other things attached to it. But what makes us worthy is not us tithing. What makes us worthy is Jesus and putting our trust in him alone. And we just want something for you. We want you to, to experience the blessing of being generous and being connected to God's work. We don't want something from you. That's not the goal of this. So Proverbs uh, 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first produce of your entire harvest. And 2 Corinthians 9, 7, I love the way this is put to believers. Um, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in re response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God wants to change your heart and for you to be like Zacchaeus. He, he was, Jesus didn't say, well, here's what you got to do. And if you don't, you'll be cursed. He encountered Jesus and was overwhelmed with a God who loved him. And, and so his response was just, man, God's blessed me greatly financially. I'm going to be generous. And that's, that's the picture that we get. And many of us are missing out on the blessing of that. And then the last thing is to daily give thanks. To daily give thanks. I'm going to ask the band to come up here. We have one more song that we want to share with you this morning. But when we give thanks, that helps us be content. That, that's the other side of the coin. If you wake up every morning and go, God, thank you that, that I, I have all these things that you've blessed me with, that combats this temptation that we have to not be satisfied and want more and, and to think that we've been done wrong or we don't get what we deserve. Like as believers, we're so glad that we don't get what we deserve. That's our whole attitude, that we deserve separation from a pure, holy God, but that God in his goodness gave, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he did what? What's the expression of God's great love to us? Giving. And as we follow him, God wants us to be giving, to be generous. If you don't know God's love, don't even think about giving money to like Lifestone Church or to some other ministry or some other good cause. You don't feel pressure into that at all. We want you first to know who Jesus is. And we just trust that God in your life is going to direct you to these beautiful principles that he lays out in his word.